for saints. Praise God. Praise God. You may be seated. Feel free just to elbow. I'm elbowing all of y'all at this point. <laughs> I've made it three weeks without it, and so I'm believing God. I'm going to go through this, and I'm not going to get it this time. Um, but many people I know and love have been getting it. How many can say amen to that? I, but how many are believing God is able to do greater, to do greater things? And also, we have a precious brother. Brother, is it okay, Tank, if we pray for you? We're not going to put people around you, but you lost your mother this past week. Can we pray for you right now? We're going to pray for this brother who lost his mother. We're not going to get his, our hands around him because he's going to be around family this, this week. Have you guys done the funeral yet? It's next week. Okay, so we're not going to get all close to you. If that's, that's up to you if you want to do that, but, but I don't want to be a, a mass spreader event, okay? Yes, please. Can we get him a mic? We'll get you a fresh mic. Um, yeah, yeah, you can even come up if you want. Come on, let's give it up for Tank as he comes. He'll give you... His real name, sometimes I only know you guys by your nicknames. Frankie, thank you. Come on, brother. Let's turn it on for him, please. She had been a struggling uh, drug addict and alcoholic from when we were younger. And um, for years, she had struggled with it. She was saved by the grace of God, and God delivered her from that. And uh, she was, uh, it kind of just... Caught up with her just over the years of just all this the damage that she had done to her body and uh, her organs were failing her and just mm. everything was going down, you know what I mean? And um, finally, they had found some blockage in her and she had to go get a scan. And then they scanned her and they found that she was having an internal blockage. So they had to like kind of go in and just to see what was going on. Um, and what ended up happening is, is when they went in to go check it out to see what this blockage was, they found everything else was bad. So it's like if you could take your car in and they go, oh, I need my oil changed. Oh, well, you have bad this, you have bad this. They finally just caught up with everything. So pretty much she was already on that road to passing away. And, like, me and my family, we kind of we kind of knew something was up because it's the way she had been acting. She had been telling us she loved us more. And me, I'm a, I'm a big mama's boy. Like, I'll tell you that straight up. And I've been, I have been very blessed to be very close to my mom. Uh, I made it very vocal, both internet and person. I visit my mom all the time. Huge mama's boy. Um... And uh, I'm very thankful that the Lord held her on for as long as, she, as, as long as he can because she was in and out of hospitals, in and out of doctors, but it never wavered her joy. It never wavered her spirit, you know. And uh, I'm kind of thankful in a, in a small sense that this happened because once the doctor saw that, like, all her organs were failing her, he was able to let us know. Like, that's when we were able to find out that she was slowly dying. And it's like, had that not have happened, we would not have been there for her when she passed. She could have passed away in her home. I could have been far away when this happened. So in a sense, that was a blessing that that happened because the doctor let us know what was going on. Um, we went uh, to the hospital and because um, she was having emergency surgery, and that's when the doctor told us that she was like that she was pretty much this was like her last dead, like her last uh, time, and that she wasn't waking up. Uh, I refused to believe that because like the Lord gets the last say, so the doctors get the last say, so so I kind of hung in and prayed, laid hands as much as I can, but. Inevitably, I was blessed to be there when mom took her, her, her last heartbeat. Oh, Lord, give me strength. Lord, give me strength. Um, so um, I'm very thankful to that, and I'm thankful for everybody that prayed for me because it's not, it's not easy at all. Like, I'm being very, very strong right now, and that's because the grace of God's given me strength. Um, but then within the, the few days that were coming up after that, of my days of mourning and just being very like, disappointed and being sad and all the prayers coming in, um, this was Tuesday morning she had passed. On Wednesday, I woke up and prayed like I normally did, and I, I felt the Lord just giving me peace. The Lord was telling me, like, Frankie, like, I gave you some time to mourn. I gave you time to cry. 
don't cry no more, man. Like, I have her now. She's with me now. No more doctor's appointments. No more uh, sicknesses. No more medicine. No more pills. No more sadness. And, like, I felt the Lord giving me, giving me that comfort um, to not focus on the fact that I lost my mom, but to focus on the fact that the Lord gave me 36 years with my mother. The Lord gave me a very, very tight relationship with my mother. The Lord legit got to see my mother see me fall in love and, like, you know, for you guys who don't know, like, I have my, my first girlfriend. Like, I finally have a girlfriend. You guys have seen her here before, you know? I have my first girlfriend. And, like, my, my, mother, my mother didn't get to meet her, unfortunately. But my mother, the last conversation I had with my mother, she was so happy for me. She was like, I told you the Lord was going to come through. I told you the Lord was going to come through. So the Lord blessed me with the fact that I did have a tight relationship with my mother. The Lord blessed me with the fact that I had 36 years with my mother, and she held out as long as she did. Um, and I'm just thankful for that. So I felt the Lord telling me, so don't, don't be sad anymore. But know that I have her and celebrate your mother and be happy with your mother. Um, so I just want to take you guys from the bottom of my heart, from the bottom of my heart. Like all the Facebook messages, all the just in person, all the text messages. I appreciate that from the bottom of my heart. You guys are my church family. I love and respect each and every single one of you guys. And, of course, like I, I couldn't get to them individually because it's a lot, like a lot of Facebook messages. And I'm trying to just kind of keep it cool on social media. But I, I thank you so much, Pastor, for being there for me. And I thank you guys for letting me come up here and tell you that from the bottom of my heart, I love and respect and appreciate all of you guys so much during this rough time. And I thank you guys so much. Oh, amen. Amen. Well, bless the Lord. You can hold on to that just for a second, but let's pray. Father, we thank you today for Brother Frankie. We thank you, Lord. We pray that you will encourage him. You'll pour out your spirit upon him and his family. Lord, that uh, all the people he's around during this time will feel the presence of the Lord, your presence, that they'll be encouraged. And that, Lord, as he already spoke before, as they miss um, this dear sister, Lord, they'll be reminded of how she is comforted in your arms today, and that that comfort will come to him and help him, oh God, to uh, fill the gaps where mom used to be, oh Father God. No one can take that place except you, Father. Only you can fill the gaps of someone so important and so special in his life and what she was to others. Lord, we know you're faithful. You'll do it. In Jesus' name, And everybody said amen. We love you, my brother. Let's open up our Bibles to uh, John chapter 2, verse 13. Thank you. Oh, praise God. Isn't God faithful? Even in the midst of our hard times, you know, he's faithful. And that's why when we talk and, uh, you know, preach at this church, and I just want to thank Brother Frankie for being so faithful to always come. He's some, oftentimes here, most of the time here for both services, going in the Word, that you notice here whenever we talk about greater things and, and, and God doing powerful things in our lives, I always make sure that I talk about greater things in the midst of suffering. You know, greater things in the midst of hardships. Because a lot of times pastors don't, don't say that, and then the bad times come, and it's like, Pastor, I want my money back, you know. I, I, want, I want my conference uh, feedback here. I gave, I gave everything in the offering. I shouted and hollered that this was my year, and now in the first month, I'm burying my mom. What's going on, Jesus? You know, well, this is why I like to show us that when I talked about greater things, uh, Frankie, you're going to experience greater things even at a funeral. You're going to experience greater things in the midst of the lost. God will do greater things. Our God is the kind of God that doesn't need a good day to show off. Anybody can do something good on a good day when everything's got, you know, everything's perfect conditions. You know, like a lot of these people, they like to play sports. Anybody can do it when it's not raining, when the weather's just perfectly right, when the back ain't aching, you know. But, but on a bad day, can you still slam? Can you still dunk? Can you still put in the three? See, God shows up on these days. This is where you realize God is more than just the Buddha or a fortune, fortune cookie or 
some prophet that came a long time ago, that he's the God with us. He's Emmanuel. Amen, Frankie? And I want to speak that to everybody here today. Greater things are coming your way, no matter what tests and trials we're facing. Just like we saw here in the American culture, we're talking about greater things. All the pastors are starting off the year strong, and now we have the highest COVID rates than, that the nation's ever seen. Now, thankfully, Omicron is not as serious, doesn't have as much um, detrimental effects as the other variants have had, as according to the studies, but it's spreading quite fast. And so now we're starting to learn like a new normal, you know, because I've never been a COVID denier, and uh, we don't argue over the vaccine here. You know, maybe you guys can do that on your own, but I, I don't spend time doing that. But my thing is I want us to be safe, but that's a tough way to start off a new year, missing 50 people on your job, you know, half your family's sick. I was talking to another brother needing some work done, and he said, man, my lawyer's sick, my realtor's sick, everybody's sick, man, you got to wait, you know, and I'm trying to make moves right now, you know, and then I want to present to you what God did in this year, and the finances, the, the financial report, and then my administrator, and everybody getting sick, so we're going to have to wait till next week in Jesus' name, amen, and I know they all watching right now, shout out to all the MPI folks holding it down online, amen, and, and like I said, God's still going to do greater things, though, God's still going to do greater things despite COVID, God's going to do greater things despite gas getting up to four dollars, can I hear an amen, God's going to do greater things even though Lori Lightfoot is reaping what she's sown, because she always has to somehow figure it out with these people that she's been in cahoots with when they don't get what they want. And I pray for our teachers, as you can see, but it's something how when they always fight with the mayor, because the mayor is always trying to use them to get what she wants, to get the votes, and then when push comes to shove, a lot of times I think she takes the easy way out, you know, and then people can see that she's really not as for the people as everybody, uh, as, as she tried to say that she was. But that doesn't mean we don't pray for her, because we got, what, millions of students right now in Chicago that need some solutions or problems. And let me just say this, the church problems, man, they're, they're serious too. I just heard about one of Bishop T.D. Jake's churches that's, uh, I believe it's in Colorado, $13 million building being sold right now because they're only online. They can't even afford the building anymore. So you got mega churches with huge buildings and, and let God be their judge on whether or not they had the people anymore to afford it. But man, like as I said before, if you guys are going to shut down, hand us the keys, let's keep doing ministry, amen? I mean, we all ain't sick at the same time, right? <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll keep swatching out, you know, swapping out congregations if we have to, but, I, but, I'm, but I'm serious, man. These churches are in trouble. We were looking at, because we're looking by God's grace to get a parsonage, and we'll be telling you about that a little bit later, and they saw all the increase that we had in finances, and they were like, man, this is amazing, like six-figure increase from last year to this year. I mean, in 20, 20, 2020 to 2021, six-figure increase. I can't wait to tell you guys about it. I got the whole PowerPoint. I'm going to be shouting, get the dancing music coming on. Because you know if the church bless, you bless. If you bless, the church bless. We all bless. Mm, mm, mm. Man, I just want to dance right now. Mm, mm. Y'all don't even know where, where we going in there. <laughs> you don't even, you know, Elder, you were at the meeting. Come on, I wish I could just put it up, but we got to wait for the administrator to come back. But anyways, we were talking to the bank, and they said, where's, where's all this money coming from? I, we, we assume you got the PPE or whatever that is, the loan, you know, because they're like, man, we're not going to give you another huge loan to buy a parsonage if you got, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars coming in randomly because you got a loan. And we said, man, we don't have a loan. We just got so some good people that serve a good God that are too blessed to be stressed that are going up to another level. Amen. Praise God. So we're going to tell you guys about that next week by God's grace. Let's go to John chapter 2. Greater things are coming.
Greater things are here. Amen. How many are already experiencing greater things? Some of those things are here right now. Look at John chapter 2, verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a tickle stick. Is that what it says? He made a tickle stick out of what was laying around. No, he made a what? A whip of cords and drove out from the temple courts both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Somebody say, that's my Jesus. Amen. That's my Jesus. That's the same Jesus of John 3.16. We, we're, go, we're getting there, but we got to cleanse the temple with him right now. we got to see how he does this. In 20, uh, 2022, let God do what only he can do. Amen. Let God cleanse some stuff. We're going to be talking about that in just a moment, but I'm going to keep reading so you get the context. Verse 16, to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for for your house will consume me. That's Psalm 69, verse 9. Let's read that together. One, two, three. Zeal for your house will consume me. That's going to be the title of today's message. Zeal for your house, O God, will consume me. We need to be like Jesus, consumed by the zeal, the passion we have for God. We need to be consumed with the things that we do for the Lord, whether it's in this church, in our house. Come on, some mama needs to say this zeal for this house has consumed me. Amen. A father needs to say this, that zeal for my house has consumed me. And then the church, and then your business, where you consider that your house of employment. You need to have the right zeal, the godly zeal with knowledge, and have it consume you for the purpose of God. Don't just take whatever comes your way. Life should not just be, it is what it is. It is. That's not the way we are as God's people. We change things in Jesus' name. Amen. We rearrange things. When you come to your job, you're coming there to rearrange stuff, to cleanse things, to put things in order so that it can be successful. Somebody say, his zeal is in me. Amen. God's zeal is in us today. So zeal for your house will consume me. This was speaking about Jesus being, uh, you know, so uh, filled with passion and impassioned for the house of God. And David was prophesying this back in his time. Now, verse 18, the Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Like, man, you just came here. You made a mess. You just whipped all of us. You know, you're not a high priest. You're not a king. How, you know, where's your badge? What's your authority? And reminds me of the times, uh, often, oftentimes when people have stopped me and asked me, you know, do you have a permit to do this? And I'm like, yes, I do. Yes, I do. And, and not oftentimes do they ever ask for it. But if they ever do, I take them to Matthew chapter 28, and it says, go and make disciples of all the nations. Here's my permit. Amen. Here it is right here in Jesus' name. I do. I do have permission from the Lord because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And he gave me the permission to preach his gospel. And then specifically, I do have permission in the United States of America to preach on these streets. Can I hear an amen to some street preachers in the house today? And so they're asking him, man, what is your authority? What's your authority, Jesus? By the way, we're doing some multimedia stuff so you might see the paparazzi every now and then. Amen. Come on, somebody say, do your thing. We got it going on, man. We're going to do some new multimedia stuff this year so that every now and then the paparazzi will be coming out. I love this, brother, Brother William. 
So they, they said, what's your authority? Now watch what Jesus says in verse 19. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Now you just got to understand that had to be intense for them to hear that. You just whipped us. You did all this in the temple. And now you're telling us that you want us to destroy it just to watch you build it up. This is, you know, crazy talk to them. Verse 20, they replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it up in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his what? Was his body. Thank you. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. They believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So what's amazing here is that John the apostle, writing this gospel, inspired of the spirit, takes us through their learning process as he's reflecting back on these events with Jesus. And this was a key to them because they realized that Jesus was dropping hints all along the way. And now as he retells the story, he wants you to read as uh, you as the reader to be able to follow along with it so you don't have to wait to the end. He's helping you right now to get it. Okay, what did Jesus mean by that? Oh, he was speaking about his body. Now verse 23. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind for he knew what was in each person somebody say Jesus knew <laughs> Jesus knew what was on the inside of them and that was sin so he didn't need sinners walking around giving him his testimony he said me and my father and the Holy Ghost we got this father son Holy Ghost we're going to testify to this but uh, he does eventually send out some witnesses how many are glad to be a witness here to Jesus Christ because even though he knew what was on the inside of you that's why he died while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Amen. That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now going back to uh, this, this passage here, looking at uh, verse 13, Jesus is cleansing the temple here in John. Oftentimes when people are harmonizing the four gospels, we begin to see that the synoptic gospels put a temple cleansing towards the end of Jesus's life. And now this kind of uh, causes some conflict or debate among the theologians and I would like to just uh, put your mind at ease. We can harmonize John's account with the synoptic gospels and consider it just one. There are theologians who do that. I, however, take the position that he did it two times because I don't know about you, but I've had to clean my house, my kids' rooms, my basement more than once. Can I hear an amen to that? So when I look at harmonization, that's what I'm actually teaching right now in the Bible school by God's grace, the harmony of the four gospels, I can actually receive this as a different account than the one that the uh, synoptics are talking about because I think their timeline fits better towards the end and I think this one fits better towards the beginning and I think he would have done it multiple times and given multiple messages. Now just because I say that doesn't make it true. You can research it more. There are good theologians on my side but the point that I want you to get with this is that Jesus was always about his father's business and if his father's business was cleansing that temple, how many believe he would have did it as many times as the father told him to do it. And if the father told him to do it once, then he would have did it once. But if the father told him to, father told him to do it twice, don't you think he would have did it twice? And if the father told him to come back and check on it every week, don't you think he would have did it? Because I believe that Jesus was always about his father's business. 
Now, when we get into the reason why it needed to be cleansed, oftentimes we overlook these folks that are there and we automatically judge them harshly and their profession. It actually wasn't the profession of the money changers or those selling these animals, these livestock, that made it sinful and grieving to the point that Jesus had to drive them out. As a matter of fact, it was a part of the command of God that when people came from out of town to the Jewish Passover, as you can see, this is the feast they're celebrating, that they were given permission to try not to bring their sacrifices with them. How many know it would be hard uh, to bring a dove with you on the blue line or to bring a dove with you, you know, on one of the buses or trains crossing across, you know, Amtrak? It would be hard to do it now. It would be hard to do it then. So instead of them taking all of this livestock with them and going, you know, on long journeys with their animals, the Bible actually said this is how they could do it. They could come with their money, with their cha-ching, and then they could show up and then have, if they came from another nation, have their money exchanged, whatever country they had come from. Let's say they, they had come from a part of the Roman Empire that wasn't using the Roman currency. They could have came to that area, exchanged their money, and then bought their sacrifice and had a good time. Somebody say amen. I mean, so their profession is not the problem. The problem that is happening here is the heart and the intent and the motivation of what they are doing. In other words, they have taken something that was meant for good and now they have turned it for evil. We don't know all the details of these people, but they've done enough to be called thieves and robbers. God is upset with them because something in their business practice and their intent of heart and their manipulation is not being what God intended this to be. They possibly could have been ripping people off. So let's say you came with what would be the equivalent of a dollar, and instead of just exchanging a dollar to a dollar or maybe adding a dollar and five cents, maybe just because they had to take a charge or something, maybe they were, you know, making you pay two of your dollars for one of their dollars, and they were ripping people off. There's a possibility that could have been happening. Also, the people that were there selling, they could have been not about the business of the Lord, not holy, not pure, not consecrated, just coming any old way they want just to make money and didn't care about the church. Come on, somebody say make it plain. Amen. We're going to make this plain in just a moment because I want us to understand how we're going to apply this to our life. But everybody just see here what's more than likely happening is that they're unclean, they're ripping people off, they're defiling the temple of God, and Jesus has a problem with it. Now all the, uh, you know, all the Antifa rioters said, amen. That's why we're tearing this mamma jamma down. And then everybody in the church goes, oh, snap, that backfired. We're rebuking them for tearing stuff down. Then they show us Jesus tearing stuff up. Man, what, what are we going to say to them? The first thing we say to them, tear up your own father's house. Don't tear up somebody else's house. Are you listening? This is Jesus tearing up his father's house. And then in actuality, it's really not tearing up. It's setting in order. So instead of, this is what we could say, if you really want to be like Jesus, Antifa, BLM, whatever kind of protesters like to tear stuff down, why don't you be like Jesus? Go to your 
your house, clean it up, and set it in order. That's the kind of protest Jesus does. Amen? And then if anybody gets in your way, cousin, cousin Flacco, Aunt Mima, anybody get in your way, you cleanse them in Jesus' name. You set them right because you tell them, in this house, we're going to serve the Lord. This is my father's house or this is my house, and I'm going to cleanse this room. I'm going to make sure there's no drugs here. I'm going to make sure there's no filthy music, nothing on the TV because that's the equivalent of what Jesus is doing. Jesus is going to his father's house and he's not there burning it down he's not there saying as a protest to what's going on with the wickedness of Israel I'm going to burn it down no he comes and he cleanses it and eventually because of judgment God will allow it to be torn down in 70 AD but this is actually mercy This is Jesus bringing mercy. In other words, he knows that future judgment is on the horizon, and he's telling them, man, you do not want to do this. Let me help you as he gets out the whip. I'm really helping you. How many know sometimes discipline will keep you from disaster? Discipline will keep you from destruction. Somebody put that on Facebook. That's going to preach. You getting upset about discipline, but God's keeping you from destruction. So the thing that we get upset about, you know, the, the, the discipline is actually the soft hand of God. It's actually God's soft hand. You don't want the destruction. I mean, if you would have asked them at that moment, what would you rather have? A little whipping, some cleansing, some back and forth arguing, or this whole thing being raised to the ground and you being taken into slavery? I mean, of course, they would say, okay, just just give me the cleansing then. What would you rather have, some of your teeth fixed or all your teeth pulled out? Come on, somebody. I mean, you don't like the dentist, but if you go once a year, you get them clean, then you don't get them pulled out eating your food with the straw, amen? And so we have to understand that God's discipline is for our good to keep us from destruction. And sadly, they don't follow the discipline. They continue on in their sin, eventually crucifying Jesus. And then the curse of God comes upon them and the destruction of the temple. But I then want you to turn your attention now to what he says here in verse 16. He says, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And then he talks about the zeal that he has. The passion that Jesus had for the things of God went beyond just what was going on in the external there at the outer courts with the market. He also had a concern with what was going on inside of people's hearts. Eventually, he's going to start dealing with them, saying, you are like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you have it all together, but on the inside, you are a bunch of dead men's bones. You're not doing it right. And so he's not just looking at the outside. He's also looking at the inside. How many know God wants both? God wants your reputation. God wants your behavior on the outside to be right. God wants your external holiness to be right. But how many know most importantly, he wants this house, the house of your heart to be right. Can I hear an amen? Because you can have it all together on the outside. There's been a lot of preachers that have, but on the inside, their hearts are messed up. And so Jesus is not just consumed about his father's house in an external sense. He's also consumed about it in an internal sense. And after the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem in 70 AD, where did the temple of God move, y'all? Where is the temple? right now point to the temple of the Lord. It's on the inside of us. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? So you better get that junk out the trunk in Jesus' name. Amen? 
Jesus wants to cleanse us from the inside out. And also, how we live in this world matters to others. You see, he always talked to the Jewish people about them defiling the reputation of God. Now, we know that in one sense, you can't take away what God already has. It belongs to him. He's holy. He's perfect. He's good. But God himself said, my name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of what you do here. I mean, just imagine the Roman Empire watching these things going on with the Jerusalem temple. They probably would have said, look, this temple, just like our temple, people come here, exchange money, make money. It's a, it's a, it's a you know, a, a dog-eat-dog world out here. They're all competing about where they can put their tent up, where they can put their little stand up. That's just like when we go to our gladiator uh, fights. Uh, we fight over who's going to sell the hot dogs. That's just like when we go over here to the goddess of Diana. We fight over who's going to get the best spot to sell the idols that day. I can only imagine how the word of God was defiled. The reputation of God was defiled because of what they were doing. Somebody say, God, God, say this with me. Say, God is using me to touch others. Whether you use it for God's glory or not, it's going to be there. God is using you to touch others. It's like how we see COVID spread. You're spreading something to somebody right now. Come on, it gets quiet when I preach like this. I said, just like how COVID spread, you spreading something to somebody right now. I wonder if you're letting God use you to touch people with his glory. That house of God was supposed to be so full of the glory of God that if unbelievers and pagans got around it, they would fall down and worship. That even the people of God would be restricted at times from going into the holy place because of the glory of God. Somebody say, people are watching. People are watching us. And so Jesus had to set this thing in order. And then lastly, he talks about his resurrection. I love Jesus always making things plain to his disciples. You see, the people in Jesus' day may not understood what he was talking about. He left them hanging so much. Just imagine that. You're there, maybe as a Jewish leader. You see your friends get whipped. Now you're arguing with this man. And then all of a sudden, he says, destroy this temple, and I'll rise it again in three days. He leaves that way. He doesn't tell you any more explanation. Imagine being that person. You would think you just met a crazy person. But if you were open to the things of God, you would pursue, wouldn't you? You would go after him. You would want to be a disciple and say, what did you mean by that? Maybe that's why in the next chapter, chapter 3, we learn about a man named who? Nicodemus comes talking to Jesus on the, on the down low, on the slick because he doesn't want anybody to know he's over here talking to this crazy man. But he's interested enough He's drawn enough by the Father to think, man, God might be up to something. And so we have to understand that when Jesus seems to be talking in parables or in cryptic language or of metaphors, this is not to discourage us. This is not for us to feel like we're not qualified. We can't get this. It's to bring us into relationship with him as a disciple. So anytime you read the word of God and you say, man, I don't, I don't really understand this. I need more information. Get around some disciples. Get into your prayer closet. Read the word of God and you'll get the understanding. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. Because he left the outsider on the outside. If you wanted something from Jesus to go deeper, you had to make the effort. Now, I know for us, we believe by grace alone, through faith alone that we're saved. But this does not take away the cooperation that we have with God. I call this dancing with the divine. The way I look at it is that Jesus comes to us on the dance floor, and he says, hey, do you want to dance with me? 
Now, at that point, we have a choice to make. We can say, no, Jesus, I don't want to dance with you. I'm going to be lame. I'm going to be over here. But if you say, hey, I want to dance with you, Jesus, now Jesus is going to take you and spin you around. Are you guys listening to me here? Like dances with the stars. You dancing with Jesus, the Son of God. Amen? And so he's going to spin you around. He's going to do all that he does with you. And as long as you are willing to participate with him, he will dance with you all night long. He'll, he'll lead you and guide you. He'll take you on a journey that you have never expected or can even imagine. How many have enjoyed dancing with the divine? Okay, but now watch this. And he'll even take you stepping on his toes. Let's keep going with this example. Help me out here. He'll help you if you step on his toes. You make mistakes. You do things that you're not supposed to do. Your breath stank, whatever. He's going to help you out in this dancing with the divine, right? You all tracking with me here? But at any time, if you say, I want out. I don't want to dance with you. I'm done being on the dance floor. I'm tired of following in your steps. I'm tired of moving the way you move. You can walk away. As a matter of fact, we're going to learn in John 15 that he says, remain in me, and then my word will remain in you, and then you're going to ask me whatever you need, and I'm going to do it for you. And then he talks about them bearing much fruit, but he says, if you do not remain in me, then I will cut you off. Come on, somebody say cut off. Amen. Thank you. You're going to get cut off and then thrown out with the other branches that are already going to hell into the fire, the Bible says. And so when we look at Jesus explaining to the disciples what these things were, what a privilege it was to understand that he wasn't talking literally there. He was talking figuratively about his body. How many believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Amen. Somebody say preach it. Amen. Let's make it plain. Go on down, my brother. I made some notes today because I didn't want to forget them. We need to see some things cleansed in the church. I want to make this as clear as I can today. I am not better than any pastor, any leader, or any Christian, but I am better off than I've ever been following Jesus and walking in his word. I am no one in and of myself to make a judgment of my own opinion. They're like armpits. Everybody's got two of them. Most of the time they stink. But I can tell you what the Word of God says. So I want to be very clear as I go into the application of this message of cleansing things in the church, cleansing things in our lives, that I'm not saying this comes from a man named Joe Wyrostek because Joe Wyrostek is a better person, a better leader. He went to more conferences, got more of an education. No, what I am saying is by God's grace, and I'm doing my best up here by the word of God. I'm saying this is what the word of God says to us. So this way, it's not dependent upon me because even if, God forbid, I was to mess up and to fail in one of these areas and get cut off from God's blessing, be whipped out the church by the Lord, that doesn't change what the word says. Amen? Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. There was uh, another scandal that came out. Julie Royce, you can follow her on Facebook. You got to watch your heart sometimes, man, because I feel like sometimes it's a Christian tabloid. I get grieved all the time, man. But her, her calling is just to keep tabs on what's going on in the church because there's so lack of accountability now. And then, uh, you know, a lot of these pimping pastors will hurt the sheep in one place, duck and hide, uh, resurface in another place, and get back to their same, their same shenanigans. And so she wants to make sure that the body of Christ is well informed about what's going on. Uh, every now and then she picks on some nice people that I think she misunderstands. But the things that are clear about her message is about these pastors who sin in the pulpit and try to get away with it. And one of the ones that she had just brought up this past week was a pastor that had boasted that his church was the fastest growing church in American history. Think about that. 
Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to boast if you can do it, if you can back it up, amen? At some point, there's got to be a Michael Jordan that can dunk. There's, at some point, there's a good guy that can actually play ball. He's not just talk, right? But generally, those aren't the ones talking all the time. But anyways, just think about this. Think about the notch on the devil's belt today. Think about that, that old devil and think about how he can accuse us today. This was the fastest growing church in American history. Another one bites the dust. I think the devil's like that. How many think the devil just boasts in his work? The Bible says that he's working on many right now. But Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. Well, why is the devil winning? Why is the devil taking out these awesome and, and powerful, popular, anointed men and women of God? Because they don't want to live holy. It doesn't start with the devil. Even if we go back to the Garden of Eden, it didn't start with the devil. It started with Eve and her own desire to get around a tree that she was already forbidden not to get around. Are you guys tracking with me? It doesn't start with the adulterous affairs. It starts with the fantasy of a heart. Well, I think I could have a better time with a spouse that was like this. And then that spouse starts to entertain an affair in their heart. Oh, and then lo and behold, there's one at the gym that looks like this. Do you see how affairs work? Most people do not start off saying, I want to have an affair. Most people do not start off saying, I want to be addicted to pornography. As a matter of fact, in all my years of counseling, I haven't even met a person like that. It is generally the deception of the sin that comes in and brings a temporary pleasure that then results in the devil saying, come on, boys, come on, demons, let's help this sinner out. Because as I've shared with you before, the temptations that we have are usually unique to our taste and our profile and to our own proclivities, those things that we like. Amen. If I go right now to your house and you bring out some mint chocolate chip uh, ice cream, I'm not tempted. If you bring it out and it's as green and blue and whatever that color is, teal, as it can possibly be, and the mint is, is glistening under the lights of your kitchen, you have not tempted me. You, you bring out chocolate chip cookie dough out of a container that's been in your freezer for three years, only got this much left at the bottom... It's got more condensation and frost than it does ice cream, and you put it in front of me. I'll go to work on that thing like you thought I was digging for gold. You, you all tracking with me? Because that's a temptation. You bring out something that I don't desire, it's not a temptation. And what has happened by, by just our own stupidity, our own folly, if you look back at, at uh, Proverbs and the difference between the, the, the foolish wisdom, uh, the foolish woman representing the folly of the world, adultery and the sin that follows it, and the wisdom of God uh, speaking out and trying to persuade men. If you go back into Proverbs and you see this dichotomy between the two ways, the two paths, you'll see that any time you leave the path of God, wisdom, anytime you lead the, leave the path of the fear of the Lord, you are now able to give in to your own cravings and desires and then from there to defile yourself. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 10. Somebody say, get it out the church. Amen. We got to get out the church, unholy leaders. 
Let's start right here. Let's start with me. Let's start with you. Let's start with anyone that's been in this church for a while. If there's anything that's unholy in you, get it out or you get out. Can I just preach to you right now? Can I be honest with you? Everybody here, you've been here, unless you're a visitor, we'll give you some time. But most of all, you've been here for a while. Either you get the sin out or get out the church. We don't need the hypocrisy anymore. We've got too many people speaking bad of the church. I brought, I brought today, come on, a spiritual whip, and I'm going to use it in Jesus' name. Because I mean this, you don't have to be in sin anymore. You don't. It's your choice today to repent. You may be in a habit you can't break. I get it. But today it's your choice to repent of that bad habit. It's your choice today to cry out to God for help. Maybe it is overwhelming you. I understand that. But if you make the choice today to cry out for help, I still believe a scripture that says greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. If you get born again today, you won't be the way you used to be. I still believe in the transformation of sinners into saints. Does anybody else believe today? Amen. As we look to the scriptures, is that 1 Timothy Chapter 5, verse 10. Go to uh, chapter 6, verse 10. Wrong chapter. Thank you, my brother. Sorry about that. When I look at the leadership today of my own friends and the people that I've, I've been around, I'm so discouraged by what they're doing and what they're pursuing and what they're calling ministry. Is it any wonder that so many ministers need the counseling right now. And I'm not saying anything wrong with counseling. Please get counseling before you consider suicide or things like that, right? But is it any wonder that the stats are so high that 70% upwards of that number are depressed, seeking counseling? That same number, upwards of 70 80%, they say would get out of ministry if they could find an equally paying job. Dear Lord, I wish I could just buy some of them out in Jesus' name. Amen. I wish I could. You know, you ever watch these shows like The Prophet or Undercover Billionaire or whatever? Sometimes I wish I could just show up to these churches, hear one of them complain and say, here's your check, sir. I got a man or woman of God ready to take the pulpit tomorrow in Jesus' name. Here's your 30K. Here's your 50K. You can go to selling insurance now. We're going to start preaching in the pulpit. We're going to start believing in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to start teaching discipleship. We're going to go out and street preach in Jesus' name. Feed the poor. Clothe the, the naked in Jesus' name. I wish I could. I really mean that. Either get them help or get them out. Look at what it says, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now let me just slow down a little bit and share my heart for the church because I have loved the church. Those of you who know me and get close to me, you know I love the church. You know I love the body of Christ. I never believe we're lone rangers out here. We're not the only ones. There's great churches even on this street. I pray for them. We bless them. I don't have any martyr syndrome on the inside of me. I mean, I've dealt with it as a temptation, uh, you know, but I, I have a heart of celebration for other churches. But I want to be honest with you overwhelmingly a great majority of pastors today are seeking the attention and the fortune and the fame that money brings more than the hand of God, the power of God, the holiness of God. And I even say this about those who look externally like they're spiritual. They'll have great spiritual services, but then you see the cost of their conferences. You see the cost of their books to get close to them or to get around their people. And it gets discouraging looking from the outside in because what I see they're doing is falling for that same trap over and over and over again. 
Here's how I think it starts, though, and maybe it will encourage you as we avoid these pitfalls. I think it starts very similar to some of the ones of the past that you may have heard of. I don't know how many old senior saints we have here, but does anybody remember Jimmy Swagger, Jim Baker, some of these older ministers? Let me use them as an example. I grew up listening to them on my mother's TV. I think what happens is these ministers like this kind of minister that I'm thinking of starts off with little to nothing. And God begins to bless them as they're faithful. As they're faithful, God makes them fruitful. They'll live a life of sacrifice. They'll be sacrificial in their giving. They'll be sacrificial in their relationships. Come early, stay late with people. They'll be sacrificial in their ministry. They'll give it all away if they have to, just if it can reach somebody. But then at some point, the tide begins to turn, and instead of working against the culture or the Christian culture, they're now in the flow of the culture. They're getting accepted. Instead of being an outlier, uh, being someone that's maybe more against the stream, the stream starts following them. And once again, this can be God's blessing. I thank the Lord for those who went against the stream and started new streams. Can I hear an amen? For the Methodists, the Pentecostals, those who went forward in the charismatic movement, the Calvary chapels, okay, those in the vineyard. Those who go against the stream for a while, and then the stream starts going with them because they're revolutionaries, they're spiritual fathers, they're birthing movements, okay? And then at that point, they then begin to make adjustments to compensate for all the growth. Church is bigger now, can't go out with everybody. The expenses are growing, can't maybe afford to give something away to everybody. And this now becomes the mentality. And it starts off good. It starts off with the the heart of, well, if we organize it better, if we shift these things around better, we'll be able to reach the masses. But what oftentimes they forget is what they did to get to the dance to begin with. They forget where they came from and what they're doing now is something different than what they had once done. But the shift in their own heart quite hasn't happened yet. They're pretty much right now just becoming pragmatic. But then after that, it has set them up for the shift of the heart because now they see how the game is played. They now see that if I organize this, preach like this, sell the sermon series for this, then have a conference for this, a book launch for this, an interview here, an amusement park over here, I can do this with more money, and I can do it with more reputation, and I can have more. And then at that moment, they made a switch. Instead of the dream being to the glory of God, now it's to the glory of their kingdom. And then you begin to see them fall, and it happens almost like clockwork as you watch them go through these different phases. Like I said, those were the ones I grew up in the 80s, and then now there are ones in the 2000s that started that were large and in charge and began to fall. As a matter of fact, when I first came to Chicago, everybody was talking about Willow Creek and what Willow Creek was doing and how Willow Creek was this, and then Harvest Bible Chapel was this, and Harvest Bible Chapel, Willow Creek, Harvest Bible Chapel, Willow Creek, Harvest Bible Chapel, Willow Creek, and it's just like, you know, you're just a peon if you're not in Harvest Chapel. or or Willow Creek, and now both their pastors are gone. One worse than the other, but they're gone. 
So these, these once towering figures over Chicago kind of holding the gate to where I was on the north side are gone. And I can name even smaller ones, but you get my point. I wonder how many we have to lose in the church before we realize that money is not our answer. That the ideas that we think we'll get from money are not our answer. I know money can solve problems, but if you're not putting Jesus as the first and final and everything in between answer, money won't do it for you. Money has to be a tool that Jesus uses, but you have no Jesus. All you have is money. You still got your problems. But if you, all you have is Jesus and no money, Jesus will find a way to solve your problems. Are you listening? I know that it will work together at some point. Jesus will use the money, but if you're making the priority list, if you're putting what's number one, it's got to be Jesus. Now, now, before we just say, well, shame on those pastors, I want to ask you a question as a Christian. What are you pursuing? Because it's easy to point at the pastors and say, oh, yeah, I get it. So those guys, you know, they're just out for themselves now. Many leaders are not taking the time to be with the sheep. They're only about themselves. But I want to ask you a question as a church goer, member, disciple, what are you in this for? Are you in this? I, Jimmy, I'll take all you can give me. Pastor, I just come here for my good luck charm to be blessed, to go back out and keep doing good in my own life. And don't ask me to sacrifice. Don't ask me to give because I'm too busy making moves and making money and going to school because you're failing the same way they are in Jesus' name. May God have mercy. It always just boggles my mind as we see young adults grow up in this church and then they, they go to college and they start their career and then we don't see them anymore and they think they're the first person on the planet earth that's ever had to manage a job in church. Can I get an amen from a senior saint or anyone who's been doing this more than five to ten years that you know how to manage a job in church but you will talk to a 20-something, there's nobody busier than a 20-something. Oh, man, I'm so busy. Oh, my gosh, I'm so busy. I got to go over here and get this. I got to go to the Starbucks and get this. And then my boss called me up. Come on. Are you listening to me? And I, I just watch him fall away. I also call it the, uh, the secondhand shoe syndrome. You'll see somebody come here to the church. Man, they might have been successful in the worldly sense, but they come here with a broken marriage or a broken mind. And something in their life is broken, and they get help. They, you know, it's like you know, at the homeless shelter. They're no longer walking barefoot anymore. Now they got the shoes that they got out the closet, the secondhand shoes. You all tracking with me here? So this, this person, it doesn't matter if they're successful or not. Just track with this idea, the secondhand shoe syndrome. And they, they come here with brokenness. They come here with issues. Maybe the economy got really bad. Maybe somebody in their family passed away. Maybe the, the lockdown scared them or something. And they'll start coming to the church. But once, once the Lord blesses them just enough with those new shoes that you know, they got on, once they get back to their right mind, oh, they just go right back out to the pit they used to be in until those shoes wear out. And then they come back and say, oh, you know, look, look, uh, look what happened here. Oh, you see this? My shoes wore out. Uh, uh, Y'all have any more of these shoes I can get? I'm telling you, I used to work with the homeless. That's just how they are until the Lord changes their heart. They'll say, oh, thank you, Pastor. Thank you for the new clothes. And we still bless them. We still take care of them. Even to this day, we don't have the, the, the things here at the church, but we work with agencies. And then when we meet them on the streets, we always say, hey, we'll get you a meal. Just wait till we're done preaching. And then you, you'll, you'll see them be relieved. There'll be a sense of like, oh, okay, you know, this was awesome. And then we'll say, come to the church. You know, put God first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. And then you won't see them. 
I think so often we in the church, we kind of use God as that genie to get what we want when we're in trouble and then we forget about him. Somebody say, God, help us. From the leaders to the people in the church, I just want to ask you right here, would you serve Jesus from this moment forward, even if it cost you everything financially uh, valuable in your life right now? Would you still serve him? I'm not saying you have to go broke to serve Jesus. Uh, you know, as I've said before, uh, you know, sometimes people say, like, what would you rather have, Jesus or, or wealth? And I always say, you know, I would rather have Jesus, but is there a way I can have both? <laughs> you know, is there a way I can also have Jesus and a car to work, you know? Do we all have to go homeless here, you know? And so I understand that as a pastor, we, we want to have Jesus and cars, Jesus and houses, Jesus and business, Jesus and uh, generational blessings. But first and foremost, I just want to ask you, are you willing to go all in for Jesus? Because we're not promised uh, this financial security in this country anymore, are we? I mean, what if they said, come on somebody, what if they said your Social Security, your 401K will not be given to you unless you get the vaccine? And I know some of you have already got it for different reasons, but just track with me. Wouldn't that be scary if they said things are locked up in your bank account that you don't get out until you do this? And aren't they already doing that in many ways with saying, we don't want you to work unless you do this? I don't need to be conspiratorial to say that that is, in fact, a manipulation leading us to the mark of the beast. And so as I've said before, I could just say it again, that many Christians during that time are going to try to make up excuses and say, well, you know, it's not the mark of the beast. You know, we're really just getting our ID card for the leader. He's not the Antichrist. And, you know, he says we can still worship Jesus. The only thing is we just also have to say that he's a God. As long as we give him, as they did in Rome, a pinch of incense to Caesar and say Caesar is Lord, and we mean that in the highest sense, all of the other lords are acceptable. Do you know that it was that that brought Christians to persecution faster than anything else? It wasn't their preaching necessarily. It wasn't their charity necessarily because all of that could be common to that day. There were prophets. There were philosophers. Everybody had something to say about something. But it was when it came down to the yearly pinch of incense to Caesar they said, no, 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 we don't give him the pinch of incense and say Caesar is Lord. That phrase that the Christians adopted, Jesus is Lord, was actually the phrase of revolution. When they said Jesus is Lord in the face of Rome, that was their death sentence, and they were willing to give it up for Jesus. Let's go to the next one, please, looking at the notes. What I believe we need to cleanse is the worship for show and performance. That's why I love Brother Jason so much. Can we give it up for the man of God right here, Jason? From the moment I met you, brother, you have not sang or used your gifts for performance. But man, when you step up here, it is an anointed worship time. Thank you so much for that. And we need to thank God for all of the worship leaders, you as well, sister. Thank you so much, all the ones that were playing today as uh, we're praying for those who are home. But we need to get rid of this, this worship for show and performance. I want you to think about this just for a moment, especially those of you who can go back in Christianity at least 20 years. This was almost unheard of. I mean, maybe you had an Andre Crouch on the gospel side, a Keith Green on the more charismatic side, but the, the music industry we now call gospel and worship and praise and worship, this never existed. 
20 years ago. It, it was never even a thing. I remember going to churches with the, the idea that when the worship band would come, it was about worshiping Jesus. I, I do remember those times. I remember when special guests came that sometimes they couldn't even get through the song because the tears would be coming down their eyes. See, many of you don't know your history, and this especially touches on everyone here that would be quote-unquote a minority, the African-American and the Latino. The Anglos learned so much from the minority Pentecostal movement in America. It would be good for everyone to research what God did through those churches, but I want to say we got too sophisticated as we got back into the spotlight of mainline denominationalism. In other words, when a freed slave named William Seymour began to have church on Bounty Ray Street on a porch, he didn't care about having the approval of the Baptist congregation down the road. That man had already been ostracized by his society and culture because of the color of his skin. Therefore, when he began to have church, he didn't care what the religious leaders said. He already knew he had presidents and governors against him, but if he had Jesus for him, that's all that he needed. So they began to preach and have church until everybody in town began to hear about it and began to show up to what at that time would have been unheard of. A white person going to a black church. A person of another culture going to the inner city. And they began to show up until they couldn't fit in that house anymore. And then they said, you know what, we got to find a place to meet. And everybody thought they were crazy. Even the newspapers would use the most vulgar language, the N-word, to describe who he was and what he was doing. I'm telling you the truth. Read about it in history. And he went to an old horse stable and opened up the doors and said everybody was welcome. Come on in. And the Latinos began to come. The Asians began to come. All of those of the different cultures began to come. And even the white privilege began to come and go boom shakalaka as the Holy Spirit touched them. It was led by an African American. Why do I say it like that? Because still to this day, my swagger and most preachers' swagger comes from the black church. Most of our worship and our influence comes from the black church. And then if I had time, I will talk about the Latino church and how it's made its way into our culture of the church. And yet now we've made it, and I don't mean to say sophisticated is not something that applies to other cultures, but what I'm saying is when the first Pentecostals were touched by the power of God, most of them were already ostracized. They were already rejected by their uh, larger culture because they were looked at less than, especially here in America, and yet they were willing to literally roll on the floor if the Holy Ghost touched them. They were willing to shout and holler and dance until they knew they got free. They were willing to do all of those things, and then what did it turn to over time? It turned into a show to the point, and I say this, I mean, it makes me upset every time I see it because there, there's always at least one, a gospel choir that will go on America Got Talent, you know? And they will go on there, and they'll start clapping and doing their things, and then Simon will stand up and start clapping, and then this is what I say. They are pimping the songs of Zion. 
The songs of Zion were never meant to be sung by the filthy and the defiled. The songs of Zion were meant to be sang by the pure and the holy, those sanctified in their tongues, in their speech, and in their hearts. It was the, the talents and the preaching and the culture that came through the Pentecostals and the minority, uh, what we would say, those who had been looked down upon, was what influenced the white church, overturned denominations, started their own even in the face of racism went out and became missionaries. And like I said, I wish I could tell you about what God did in Bogota, Colombia. I wish I could have time to tell you about Buenos Aires and Argentina. And sadly, most Latinos here don't even know the stories of that revival and yet and these Latino revivals. And yet two years ago, when Shakira and J-Lo shake their booty and then we rebuke them, people said, even in this church, you don't respect my culture. Listen to me, Latinos. That's not your culture. Holy men and women women of God seeing signs and wonders preaching with the power of God is your culture hallelujah that's our roots that have borne the fruit that's why you never see me defending you rebuking Miley Cyrus and her crazy self oh you don't understand white drug culture you're offending me by not understanding white drug culture you know white culture no to hell with all cultures except kingdom culture but God will choose the least among us. And now I see it the same exact way. Every time almost, almost every single time. Now for all cultures, whether it's Jesus culture, Kim Walker, a sweet young girl, singing a cover song, Oh How He Loves Us, with tears streaming down her eyes that goes viral and puts them on the map. And then you learned about Bethel and all of those places. Or whether it's, you know, Israel Houghton or these other singers that just seem to come out of nowhere. And then all of a sudden God is using them to write songs and inspire you like Maverick City and these other ones. And then it only takes, what, just a little bit of time. Until now they got their Christmas tour. I looked up, I won't even name the name because I still love them and believe in them, but you have to understand this. I looked up tickets to the Christmas worship tour of one of my favorite worship bands that I was listening to on the way here to see what it would cost to bring my family of eight over $700. Now I know people will go, well, that's what you pay to go to Disney World, but this is not Disney World. This is freely given, you freely received. This is invite the stranger, the crippled, and bring them on in until my house is filled. Why are we using those examples to exclude people from the move of God? The churches that I'm talking about, and I could be here all day, came most of them through ten crusades, campanas, out preaching the gospel on the streets. And now when do you see it? Hardly ever. They used to fill up the stadiums, soccer stadiums. We in America used to fill up the parks with the gospel being preached. Are you listening to me here? When I first got saved 20 years ago, it was popular even then for churches still to have tent crusades during the summer and healing revivals. As a matter of fact, the man that I was trained under, uh, Pastor Wade Sutherland from the South Side, taught me how to make a flyer that said, come receive deliverance and healing and the power of God. I thought I was traveling with R.W. Shambach being trained under this man of God. Look him up someday. Are you listening to me? And yet we don't even hear those things anymore. Come for the performance. 
I was watching online because, you know, the advertisements come up. I'm a Christian, and they must find me because I say Jesus on my post. Of a Christian production coming out this past Christmas, Santa was the first one that jumped on the stage and started singing in the advertisement. Then the next one that comes out is a bunch of dancing elves like the Rockettes. I wish I could play it right here. I didn't even see a baby in a manger. I mean, it's, uh, let's just be honest. First, it started off with, well, let's just do the Christmas production. It's a special time of year. Let's do the Christmas production. And I remember when my Pentecostal church, Assembly of God church, used to do that. And I was, I was a new Christian at this time, only 18 years old. And I used to dance, you know, and get excited for Jesus. But I knew, oh, at the Christmas production, we don't dance anymore. Now we just listen to the music like we're watching Barry Manilow, you know. So I noticed, okay, it's a little bit different. It's not the same service I was used to, but maybe that will bless somebody. It's okay. We'll light the candles Christmas Eve. But then they began to say, well, you know what? The kids are there. The kids get a little bit bored. So we're going to have somebody dress up like one of the disciples. Come on in. Talk to them. Okay, it makes sense. Have something for the children. Then all of a sudden, that person's dressing up like an elf. Then they're dressing up like Santa. Then Santa's getting on the stage singing with the worship team. And I'm being honest with you. And then before you know it, you've lost every touch, every anointing that was once upon those services. Why? So they could have a performance like you would have downtown or there on Broadway. Is that what you came to church for? Honestly, let's just be honest. All of us here, even those of us who maybe honor some of the talents that are displayed at those times, I'm not trying to say uh, one size fits all. Maybe in our church we'll do those kinds of things in the future. We've done them before in some ways. But, but is that really why you and I come? I mean, are we really here? Is my job when you come here to compete with them? Am I supposed to give you today, even despite being, you know, people being sick, am I required today to give you the performance of Mariah Carey on this stage? Or did you come here because you're hungry for the Word of God? You love the presence of the Lord. And when this sister and brother began to sing, you just felt comfortable enough to start singing yourself. And you started opening up your heart to Jesus. And isn't that what you look forward to when you come? I mean, I understand that we can use those things for God's glory. I always think about, and I'll talk about this when we do the end of the year report, you know, what, what we could do with our campuses and include in them schools and rec centers. I mean, those kinds of things I get. But why do we mix that with the worship of God? Uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. I'm going too slow. Come on, somebody say, help me, Jesus. I need you to get this, and I'm doing my best right now. I need you to get this to share with others. My wife is literally showing me a picture of our van being struck in our driveway because there's ice on our street. Would you pray for my wife to, begin, to get unstuck today to come to church? I'll be with my family today, Jesus. Look at this. And when you pray, Jesus talking. Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. I never thought I would have to deal with that in the Pentecostal spirit-filled church, but I'm dealing with it now. I look at some of these young people, and God bless them. I mean, I think I'm still pretty young. I dress casual. I see them come up there, messy hair, tore up jeans, hat covering over their eyes, no honor for the things of God, singing worldly ways to these Christian songs. I don't see any holiness before them anymore. 
I'm not saying all of them. I'm just saying I, I, I just don't see the holiness like I used to. I remember, and I know you guys experience it here, where the worship could turn into prophetic words, could turn into you falling on your face to get back up and start jumping. And now we have people that just look at me, look at what I wear, look at my clothes. You know, sneakers and preachers, they, they look at the shoes that they have on. Yeah, what are those? These are sketchers, folks, and they're very comfortable. But I don't care if it's Nike or whatever we have on. But, I mean, some of these folks in the, the worship industry, they go to the next level. They, they will have a sweatshirt on that will have on print, and we're looking to do some screen printing for our young adults to start some brands and some things coming up this year. Somebody say amen to that. We want to give opportunities for young people to have some jobs, so we're looking into getting some screen printing and to have our own goodies. But anyways, they will take a sweatshirt that will be just like this, and I know my brother Adolfo, you know what I'm talking about, and the worldly brand will put 50 cents of ink right here and charge literally $500 for that hoodie. 500, I've looked them up on the, the, the thing. Look it up, sneakers and preachers. It will have just the print. I'm telling you, the ink is the same. The quality of the sweatshirt is the same. And people will buy it in the church just to come on the stage because they know you're watching them to show you what I got. Now, to God and them be their conscience. I get it. But it's got to the point where it's just not one here or there. It just seems like it's everywhere. And once again, I remember, and, and I'll, I'll say this even with almost tears coming down my eyes. Thank you, Lord. We'll make this a two-parter. How many will come back next week? Amen, because I'm going to end here. Uh, uh, Lawrence, would you come, please? I remember being in India in a village where they were beating on the equivalent of what would be pots and pans and plastic items. Tears streaming down their face as they were thanking God for his blessings. While they were on dirt floors, mud-covered huts, with the smell of dung in the air. And they're just playing this beat and just singing songs to God, thanking Him for another day. And yet we come to these events to get picked up because we don't have enough to be thankful for. That's really what it is. The, the reason why they're doing it is because it works. I was talking to one preacher, God bless him. He was a part of the Bible school when I was a teacher there. And he said it well. I had not thought of it this way, but he said it well. He said, most of the church is coming for an adrenaline pick-me-up. And I thought about that after he said it in prayer. And I go, yeah, I, I can see that. Because we love to, you know, to let that stress out when we come to church, you know, clap and shout. And even here, I'm excited, you know. You know, everybody's excited in church. You're excited, I'm excited. I'm excited about what God is doing. You're excited. I'm really excited. That's how we always talk. How many have heard the word excited before in church? You're excited about God's new season. I'm excited about God's new season. We're just so excited. Listen to any church advertisement promo. We're just so excited. We're so It's, it's like the buzzword of Christianity. Somebody say excited. Come on, say Excited. So you got to get excited and say we're excited. We're just so excited to have you here today. We're excited about what God's doing. Have we told you about what God's doing? We're so excited about it. It's the buzzword of Christians. Okay, so we're excited. We're excited because we're excited. But we have made this exchange with the Christian music industry and the worship that's happening that says basically this. You excite me. And raise my level of adrenaline in the music, 
and I'll pay for it, whatever you ask, and I'll be a follower, and I'll be a devoted devotee of, of your movement. And there's no transformation that's happening, but there is a transaction. The transaction is this for that. You know, you, you make me feel good when you sing like that, dude. So I want to come and sing with you. You know, I want to pay to go to that conference. It makes me feel good or that, you know, that worship show, whatever. And we've lost the ability to let worship transform us in the personal one-on-one -on -one relationship that we have with Jesus. Let me just close with some encouragements and worship in your personal life because it's not just those on stage, it's us. If I ask most of you here today, when was the last time you sang a complete worship song to Jesus? You and him, no music. Most of you would say, man, I don't even know if I've ever done that. Don't you know that that's what the Psalms are? The Psalms are the hymn book of the church. They were from David songs that he sang directly to Jesus. And even in the Psalms, there are moments where it talks to the worshiper to sing a new song. You could even make up a song and sing it to Jesus. And yet most of us don't. A few years ago, the Lord was drawing me closer to him. And the Lord said, do you love me? And I was like, yes, Lord. Do you love worshiping me? And I was like, yes, Lord. And he said, I want to show you a verse. And he showed me in Ephesians where it says, sing spiritual songs and hymns to each other. And the Lord said, can I call on you to do that whenever I want to? And I said, yes, Lord. God is my witness. Talk to the Sanchos this past week. The Lord said, sing them a song. I said, brother and sister, can I sing you a song? And I'm just going to not do it to boast in the Lord, but I want to show you how, how it sounded. Just, I don't need the music. Thank you, but it's only going to hurt. It's only going to make it worse. <laughs> They're going to be like, ah, he's really off. I said, I said, brother and sister, we're on the phone. I was encouraging them in the church plant in uh, Miami. I said, can I sing you a song? They're like, sure. <laughs> Go for it. And I said, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. I said, it's not over yet. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Praise God. They, they didn't clap. I think they enjoyed it because they said, well, that was nice, Pastor. Thank you. And then I just explained to them like I explained to you. Well, you see, the Lord has told me 
that I need to sing hymns to people. The Bible says preach to one another, encourage one another. But the Bible also says not just sing hymns to God, but sing hymns and spiritual songs one to another. I remember watching the, um, the movie Salma, and Martin Luther King Jr. was going through a tough time. I think it was after they threw a rock through his family's house. And he called up the sister in the church, and he said, Sister, I got her on the phone, and he said, Just sing me one of those songs of Zion. How many know there's something about the songs of Zion that uplift the heart? You see, it doesn't have to come through the performance. God knows that we need our hearts lifted up. See, that's not wrong. It's not wrong to want to shout. I mean, even psychologists have told us sometimes you just got to tell yourself to stop it. And we know who to speak to when we say stop it, when our broken record's going. We go, stop it devil. And then they say, talk to yourself. And we know how to talk to ourselves. In the name of Jesus, I'll make it through this season, right? The psychiatrists even tell you it's good to do that, to shout, to shake yourself out of self, uh, you know, destructive thoughts and to speak positive. But we as Christians, we know it's rebuking the devil, speaking the word in Jesus' name. We know that singing encourages us. The, the doctors say that music has a way of uplifting the soul that then results in physical health and mental stability. But the scriptures have been teaching that a long time ago. So we don't worship just to get an adrenaline rush. We worship to give God glory and honor. But there's something that happens even here in that moment that I just had with you. When I forget about you listening to me being off key and I just, from my heart, say something special to God from my heart. Not just putting on the worship music and reading my Bible saying, I, you know, I did my devotions today. But actually going to the scriptures, looking at the Psalms and singing them out to the Lord or learning the old hymns of the past. I pray that we'll be cleansed of a performance mentality. Amen. Let's give it up for Jesus today. Are you glad you came to church? Come on, can we stand up? Somebody say, help us, Jesus. Amen. I believe he's able. Can, we, can you go back to the notes? We'll see. Uh, thank you, sir. We'll go back and, and see what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to get rid of entertainment in the pulpit. We hit on that today. We're going to talk about charging for conferences, books, and Christian training. Come on back. I want to come up with some ideas of how we can transform the way we give away Christian information in this culture. We've never had a better opportunity, especially with the Internet. One of the things, by God's grace, I want to do when we get this parsonage is build out an entire studio there, and I want to give them all a run for their money and go online, amen, even more so, and have it with professional production. And I thank God for those who have been doing it. I know we have those here from Andrew Womack's ministry, and I want to speak well of him just for a moment because, you know, it's, it's not good just to always be negative. But, you know, when I was first starting off in ministry, I loved listening to Andrew Womack. Man, he just right through the word, right through the word. And you know what struck me one day is when he said, and if you want this tape, call up. We'll send it to you for free giving away the materials. Joyce Myers, whether you like her or not, sometimes people here in this church get upset with the prosperity message that maybe she overemphasizes, but I think she's an awesome woman of God. It's my personal opinion. It depends how you see her. But you know that her conferences are for free. Do you know that we have had examples of people who have made it and kept their integrity? Both Womack and Myers have been there for many, many, many years. And I still see people criticizing them, and it's never good enough. But here's my point is that we can be an example and get out here in this nation and make a difference. 
We'll continue on talking about getting rid of man-made traditions. I can't wait to do that. Maybe we'll light some of it on fire. Anybody want to burn up some traditions in the house? Amen. Just go all in for God. Get rid of charismatic spookiness. We've had that in another sermon before. And then compromising messages. You can see how it all ties in. But band and altar workers, would you come please? Let's just pray that God will start in us. God, cleanse us of anything that doesn't belong. Lord, look at our hearts today. Is there anything that we have that doesn't belong? Would you please move it out and cleanse us from it? And set us free, oh God, from things that defile the house. A few moments right now in prayer, the Bible says, who the sun sets free is free indeed. So if you're not yet a Christian, you haven't been set free by the sun, ask him to come into your heart, uh, Jesus to come into your heart. Repent of your sins. Say, Jesus, I believe in your death, burial, and resurrection. I repent of my sins. Make me a new creation. I want to follow you. Jesus is Lord. Pray a prayer like that right now and watch what God will do. A few more moments. But if you are a Christian, come on, if you are already a Christian, Look at your heart and see if there's anything entangling you. I know as I went through some of these things, I challenged myself. How can I give away more? How can I make sure I guard my salary, even as a pastor, from inflation or being overly leaning towards my wife and I? How can we guard our budget as we are looking over the line items? I want to be free from the love of money. How can you give more? How can you serve more? How can you be more hospitable? Not from a sense of doing it to please God's uh, or, or to uh, you know get God's wrath turned from you. God says as a Christian the wrath of God has been turned but I'm saying you want to do this to please him for his sake not to try to rid the wrath off of you a few more moments come on Christians those who need to become Christians pray those of us who are Christians search your heart we'll be giving out the giving records uh, Lord willing next week look at what you gave you know evaluate your life what can you do for the Lord and his kingdom this year and then lastly how many of us just want to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit because what we replace these things with is not, you know, uh, more religion. We don't replace these things with, with more flesh. What we need to do is see the power of God come in our services. We need to see signs and wonders. We need to see deliverance. Baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. I just can't tell you enough, my friends, how much speaking in tongues has encouraged me over these years. Even in worship, I pray with my, my, my language and I pray with my spiritual language, as Paul said. A few moments, I sing with my earthly language and I sing with the heavenly language. Father, Father, send Jesus to cleanse our hearts today. Send Jesus to cleanse our churches today. Cleanse Willow Creek since they were mentioned. We'll pray for them. Cleanse Harvest Bible Chapel. Revamp all the things on the inside of those churches. Revamp and clean them. All the worship ministries, God, that are in the worship industry, cleanse them, O oh God, from this idol of a popularity and fame. May they go back to preaching and speaking in tongues in their services and praying for people. A few moments right now. Pray for whatever God's laid on your heart. I just so, sense so much is happening right now. God wants to cleanse us. And, and in just a few moments, we'll dismiss. Anyone want, wanting prayer could come on up. Oh, but I remember just in closing here, I remember David Wilkerson preaching messages like this. And now he's passed away, but we didn't listen, and it only got worse. May we heed those warnings. Is there any wonder we're so weak as a church to the culture? Is it any wonder we don't have any, any real you know, defenses against the attacks of the enemies because we become weak and dirty and undefiled, undefiled, unclean? 
Help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. I want to close out singing an old Keith Green song. Can you please put it up? Creating me a clean heart. As we get ready to dismiss, we'll sing this. And anyone who needs prayer, you can even come up now. We'd love to pray for you. But I would love to sing this with you. It uh, comes from the 70s. Many of you may not know this, but there was a powerful Jesus movement during the time of the drugs and hippie culture from the late 60s to 70s. Powerful church planning movements came out of that. Even in America, California was one of the biggest places that it was happening. Can you imagine that? Liberal California now, right? Like how we see it. It was like that then. You know, all of those things were happening. Hate and Ashbury and all of that, the gay movement. But in the midst of all of that was revival. God was bringing revival. A young man who is now past, but he was a young man then, Chuck Smith of the Calvary Chapel movement, began to have services on the beach. He committed to going verse by verse through the entire Bible. Imagine being a hippie showing up to a Leviticus sermon. But they would just go through it year after year. And they won thousands of surfers and drug addicts and, 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 you know, just people of that time to the Lord. And Keith Green was one of those guys that kind of went in those circles. And one of his messages, you can get some of his live videos of his worship, but one of his things was what we talked about, making worship a performance. And so he wrote this song because it comes from the Psalms. And he talked about how he just wanted God to make it all about him. Um, a relevant song to this would be in like the 90s. When the one brother, I think from Passion, wrote the song, I'm Returning Back to the Heart of Worship, or was that Matt Redman? What? Matt Redman, yeah, it's the same idea. But let's just sing it out. Create in me a clean heart. Just turn, I don't mean to play it. I just put up the lyrics. We'll start again. Put up the lyrics for us. Create in me a clean heart. Oh, oh, God, and renew a right spirit within me. This is not the song. You'll find it. And cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto 